SAFM, leading the conversation. Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. 70 organizations representing civil society and academics have been calling for the extension of the presidential employment stimulus. The funding is set to end next March. This is in 2024. And there is a great risk of that stimulus not being renewed, particularly because of the current funding crisis that the government finds itself in. So all really will be revealed at the medium-term budget policy a statement by Inokodongwana later on this month. Well, evidence shows that the national impact of the program, um, is, which has been in effect for about three years, has of course made a significant impact, particularly when it comes to responding to youth unemployment in the country and giving young people that first chance, that opportunity of actually getting a foot in the door when it comes to employment. Uh, Crystal Duncan is project lead at Youth Capital. She joins us on the line. Crystal, good morning. Good morning. And Professor Lauren Graham is a social a development socialist and director of the Center for Social Development in Africa at the University of Johannesburg. Professor Graham, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and to your listeners. Crystal, we've had different conversations over the years. I mean, you know, I can take you back to about three years ago when the government was considering actually implementing the presidential employment stimulus program and sort of the feedback that there has been between then and now, because while there's been um, a lot of critique in terms of just how the program can be better. There's no question about the impact it has had on the lives of young people. We're now looking at a situation where this program could very much be coming to an end. You, as, as youth capital, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad you reflected on that, Kathy. You know, we came out of the report right after phase one, you know, off the back of phase one. Oh, Crystal, yeah. we're having issues with that connectivity to you. I'm going to ask oh. the producers to, to, to call you back and uh, we'll continue the conversation with you. Professor Graham, perhaps uh, let me come back to you again. Your own reflections of this program potentially coming to an end. Yes, thanks, Kathy. Um, I think that we've had a lot of gains through the presidential employment stimulus, which is made up of many different elements. Um, I think one of the biggest that people might know is the the education assistance program, where mainly young people have been placed in uh, schools that require additional support. These young people are getting their first work experience. The schools are getting support that they need. Um, And we've seen some really positive effects of that program that Young people are getting their first work experience. This is one of the only public employment programs that's actually uh, paid at minimum wage, so it's higher than other public employment programs. That means that young people have been able to use that money, and there's some research that has come out to show how that money has been circulating in the economy, spent at retailers, for instance. So I think there's really great effects for young people themselves for the economy more broadly, for schools, uh, vulnerable schools. Uh, these are gains that have come from, uh, you know, a, a program that was implemented really quickly, went to scale really quickly. And yes, of course, there's been problems along the way, but I think this is a real success story that would be 
um, really sad to lose. Uh, Crystal, you're back up on the line. Perhaps an opportunity for you to give us your your own response to the to where things are with the presidential employment stimulus before we continue. Mm. Um, I hope that the line's better now. Much better, yeah, thank so, you. <laughs> great, great. So, yeah, from phase one, you know, we came out with that report. I think we, we were the first to come out with a new report on the Basic Education Employment Initiative, you know, the particular subset of, of the presidential employment stimulus that was really focused on young people. And we had some critiques back then. Um, and while nothing is perfect, you know, I've been really impressed with with the, the DBE and the presidency and how it's actually been quite iterative. Government programs are not great at innovation, right? They're not great at being flexible or, you know, innovating quite quickly over time. Um, and, you know, just the, the length of the program, the extension um, of the period of placement, uh, the the improvements in payment on time to, to young people, the, the improvements in scale of training, you know, they've made great strides in these things. Um, even exit pathways, which is something that Youth Capital has been really focusing on, um, you know, in this last phase, um, and you'll read about it in a report Youth Capital will be launching um, in about a week or so. Um, you can look out for that. We will be talking about some of the strides that the DB has made for on exit pathways and partnering with the private sector. So, you know, it really would be such a lost um, opportunity for us with all the gains that have been made and the lessons that have been learned and the lessons still to be learned if the program was cut now. You know, there isn't any other program that can say that it reached, you know, into these job deserts uh, where there really was no economic opportunity. And now you're creating some income in young people's pockets in these township economies. Um, and we're not going to get that scale again. This is why Youth Capital's current petition is so important. And we really need everybody to sign it because um, this really affects all of us. You know, taking out extra hands in the classroom um, in an education system that is already struggling um, and therefore further increasing the burden on teachers and reducing the um, impact that learners can have in the classroom is really not the answer despite our current fiscal constraints. Mm. Uh, Professor Graham, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when when I look at the, the, the employment stimulus program, I sort of put it in, in the same bracket as um, the DSD grant, the 350 social relief of distress grant, that these were mechanisms that have been triggered by um, largely by the country really finding itself, um, you know, at, at a certain point, and this is at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, where there were all of these massive challenges that we were facing. And that's not to say that there weren't plans, right, around how to deal with the question of youth unemployment, but it's to say that the actual effecting of that policy was triggered um, under that COVID-19 period. And and because of that, there was never really a sense that it would continue indefinitely. Would that be a legitimate argument for government to come back and say, look, we never said that we were going to implement this program forever? Well, I think um, the presidency before COVID had highlighted youth unemployment as a key priority area to address and was already starting to put in place the mechanisms that uh, would begin to unlock some of the barriers um, that young people were facing. So, for instance, in 2017, we, or early 2018, we released a report on what was required to unblock many of the drivers of youth unemployment. And one of the key recommendations we made at the time was the need for greater coordination between departments um, so that young people were not falling through the cracks. 
And that became one of the key mechanisms of the presidential employment stimulus. So one of the mechanisms is called the National Pathway Management Network. Um, and that all of, and, and these other interventions have built onto that. So I, I don't think it's, I think what COVID did was it pushed us as a country to experiment, to move quickly, to scale quickly. Um, and but those those um, plans, many of those plans were already in place before COVID hit. So we were well positioned then to scale up and to do what was necessary to COVID. And given that we haven't seen the economic recovery since COVID, and especially not um, if you look at unemployment rates and youth unemployment rates in particular, that's a long-standing issue. And if we're starting to see policy mechanisms and, and large-scale programs like the education assistance program working well and having an impact, why would we roll back on that? Why would we not leverage the gains we've made on that mm. to um, improve that over all right. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. Professor Lauren Graham is with the Center for Social Development in Africa at the University of Johannesburg. And Crystal Duncan is project lead at Youth Capital. It's time for your 1130 News Headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation this morning. Uh, we're taking a look at the presidential employment stimulus and calls for that particular program to be extended given the kind of benefit that it has really had, uh, particularly on the employment of, of young people and giving them an, an opportunity to access the workplace. So, Professor Graham, I just want to come back to you, right, and, 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 and speak about this issue around um, the planning by government. So in as much as they, they as you've already indica- indicated, there was a level of, of, of commitment towards having programs that are targeted at, at young people and creating jobs. Once we got into this dispensation of the employment stimulus, there seemed to always be a question of budget and, and renewals. And I think I can remember this conversation taking place clearly sort of between the first phase and, and the second phase and questions around, you know, whether or not government would have enough money um, to actually I- implement it for, 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 for a second round. So do you think that right now um, there they would be money and allocations put aside for this program, again, given the fact that it seems we've been moving on an ad hoc basis uh, when it comes to its its, its extension? Mm-hmm. Look, I think the debates about budgets are always going to be sticky debates. There's always going to be trade-offs that have to be made. And I think those trade-offs are need to be made on the back of evidence. So where are we seeing programs that are working well? Where are we seeing programs that are not working so well? Um, and I think there's, there's what we're seeing at the moment in the space is that we've had really innovative government responses, really innovative scaled-up responses um, that COVID galvanized. And I think we've been able to learn a lot about that from that regarding the capacity of the state to respond, the capacity of the state to work together. Um, And that we've had, I mean, one of the huge advantages in this country is that we have excellent researchers that have been doing the research on 
these innovative interventions that have been rolled out during COVID. And so what can we learn from those to enable us to do social welfare spending um, and employment, active labor market policy spending well in the future, given that this is a continual structural challenge that the country faces? And I think the evidence of this program in particular is pretty strong on the really positive impact. And so if we're going to make budget decisions on what needs to be cut, it seems silly to cut something that is having the kind of impact that this kind of program is having. But of course, there are always trade-offs that have to be made. Um, And so what does get cut? I think some of those debates often happen within the social development or social welfare budget. Um, and perhaps those conversations actually need to be beyond that, you know, between different kinds of budgets um, within, the, within the border pie. All right. Um, Crystal, let me come back to you. Uh, much of the, the, the lobbying, right, also has to deal with questions of, of where this money to fund these programs should should really be coming from. And let's remind ourselves we're dealing here with, um, you know, a government that we are told mm. that, you know, they've had to even put a hold on, on some projects uh, and programs just for this financial year so that we can get through um, the, the rest of the year. So I think, you know, the large part of the problem is that the economy is not growing, right? And with a sort of stagnant economy, um, you know, where's that money going to come from? We need to inject money into the economy to help the economy to grow. And I really think that that's where programs like these can really have an impact. Um, you know, you, you talk about trade-offs between um, things like the SRD and and these kinds of programs, which are the conversations that are happening at Treasury. Um, but I think that, the you know, something like a, a basic income grant should really be seen as the bottom basic line, which nobody falls through. Um, we should be trying to set young people up to be able to create income generating streams for themselves that that don't depend on on the grants. And so, you know, things like the social employment fund, which also under the the presidential employment stimulus, as well as a basic education employment initiative, there are countless stories of people who have come through these programs saying, because I got this income for doing work in my community that is needed, work that is benefiting the community, as well as getting some income into my pocket. I was able to um, invest more into my side hustle. I was able to create a business for myself out of my side hustle or create a business from, um, you know, this opportunity, something as simple as young people, now that their time as education assistants have come to an end, acting as tutors in the in the community, you know, something as simple as that. Um, we're hearing of these stories um, anecdotally, but because the program hasn't been run for long enough um, and because there, there's really no money in the budget set aside for M&E, it's been difficult to show the impact of, of these programs to kind of advocate for um for the continued funding and to make that argument to say, we know that there's no money, we know that we're struggling, but these kinds of programs, you know, can really actually help us get out of that uh, and are showing traction and are showing impact already. Um, what we need is for there to be ring-fenced funding. What youth capital is advocating for is to say, instead of having, you know, a pocket of money that's uh, for the presidential employment stimulus, let's have a budget sit within the Department of Basic Education, for example, for the education assistance, where there can be real accountability, where we can check how that money is being spent and the impact of that money. Um, and then the department can also plan more long term for things like training of assistance, for partnering with the private sector for exit pathways that again create economic stimulus, and also for um, having 
more concise M&E that can be used to attract even, you know, outside donor funding if, if needed. So what we really need as a fourth step right now is to get funding that is secured, not at the end of every phase, there's a scramble and nobody knows if the money's coming or the money's not coming. Um, and so we really need, you know, we need to get people behind this petition. We need National Treasury to see the value of this program long term. Mm. I, I want to explore then the alternatives for, for the future, right? So if this this money ultimately has mm. to come from somewhere. You talked about the mm. need uh, for the engagement and the role of, of, of the private sector. We know that the private sector was, a, you know, a crucial stakeholder of the employment of the of the yes program, the youth mm. employment um, program. But, you know, I, I don't know what, what has happened to it since then. And mm. that, of mm. course, you know, it, part of what followed it was a lot of pledges uh, from big corporates in the country around mm. how much um, money they were going to put towards it, even if it's by way of, 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 mm. of taking in these young people and making sure that they scale them within within their, uh, their corridors. Um, do you think we need to revisit that? What has happened to those commitments uh, and those pledges? So, I mean, if you think about, yes, and, and I stand to be corrected here, but the last number, I think, was around 40,000 um, uh, opportunities kind of a year. And currently this year, we have 242,000 teaching assistants and general assistants under the Basic Education Employment Initiative. So just the scale of what a government program that's national is able to do versus a private sector intervention, which, I mean, private sector can't absorb, you know, big numbers like that all in one go. And we're very cognizant of that. Um, and another thing that youth capital has always said is there's no one size fits all for young people, right? So some people might want to go and work for a corporate. Some young people want to go and study to be teachers. Other ones, other young people want to, you know, invest in their side hustle and become self-employed. Um, and so it's really important with the scale of program is to have these different opportunities for young people. You know, yes, we need to hold private sector accountable for their piece of the pie and the pathways that they are committing to. Um, but we can't expect the private sector to address and absorb all 242,000 young people. That's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. And so I think we, you know, we need to think innovatively about not, it's not one size fits all. And, you know, Lauren can speak about the basic package of support. We will really say, you know, young people are a heterogeneous group and we need to give a variety of options to young people, give them the right resources, give them the knowledge and the tools to be able to make informed steps to build a, a career pathway for themselves um, that suits their needs as well as their, their skills. Um, but we can only do that with the right partnerships and you can only build those partnerships, um, you know, when they sign of longevity. So the private sector will come on board when, when there's some stability in the program. I think it's easier to make, to make that case. And, you know, you can look to partners like yes and say in your particular stream for the model that you're running with a very specific model, you know, what have been the lessons there and how do we connect those dots with this massive scale program? That's a whole lot bigger. Um, and how can we leverage more private sector investment based off the lessons of Yes, who have been operating for a long time. And that's another recommendation we make, you know, saying government has done really well interdepartmentally um, to make this work. So what other government programs can we learn from that we haven't maybe, you know, drawn on yet to strengthen the program? Prof. Graham, ultimately, we're looking at a situation where what we have in the country, uh, the rate of, of youth unemployment cannot be allowed 
um, to continue at the rate that it, it currently e- exists in. Um, so beyond then just sort of the programs that we're speaking about, is there something else that 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 you as as a development sociologist sort of looks at and say and thinks well if if we also did this that then perhaps you know we could be helping to solve the problem yeah so Kathy, i think i think this issue is and youth unemployment is a very and unemployment generally is a very prickly issue with so many different contributing factors and so the the risk is that we we fall into the trap of saying this is a silver bullet and we put all of our resources here and all of our efforts here and this is going to solve the problem and of course that's not going to be the case as as crystal has eloquently pointed out already not every young person wants to go down this pathway um and there are a range of different barriers that young people face and anything that we do on the supply side so working on young people's skills acquisition, keeping them in schools, getting them connected to training opportunities, um, all of those kinds of interventions have to go hand in hand with demand um, policies as well. And so what the Education Assistance Program does, like other public employment programs, is that it creates that demand for young people through public employment. But ultimately, we also need to be ensuring that we're driving economic growth in different ways. And that's not my area of expertise. But things like the employment tax incentive, where we have seen some gains um, of, of businesses creating opportunities for young people. So we've got to have a suite of different policy interventions that address that barriers on the demand side, the intermediation where we're matching young people with job opportunities and vice versa, and the supply side all have to play their role. Um, And and this point about partnerships is absolutely crucial. Government has to play a key role here, simply uh, from the point of view of budgets and scale. They are the only organization that can reach the numbers that we need to reach. But We cannot forget the role of private sector, of civil society, and there's fantastic work being done in different um, sectors to really contribute to addressing youth unemployment. And we need to be galvanizing support around all of these, getting these organizations to work together to leverage skills, to leverage capabilities, to leverage resources, so that there's this national action being driven around addressing youth unemployment. So, Crystal, talk to us about the petition. How long are you going to be running it for? And and when do you plan on on officially at least submitting it to uh, the relevant departments? Signatures. We have, yeah, we need 48,000 more signatures. I'm being very transparent about the numbers because we really need people to understand the scale of what we're trying to do in in, in only two weeks. Um, We know that the medium term budget speech is being made on the 1st of November. We would like to present the petition with all the signature numbers along with the open letter um, and the signatories there, along with a brief. Um, to the Minister of Finance and National Treasury around the 27th of October. So we really, we, we have two weeks to um, to get those signatures in. It's fundourfutures.mobi forward slash sign 
or just look up youthcapital.co.za. It's on our homepage. It's on all of our socials, Youth Capital SA. Um, this is really important. Every single South African should care about this. It affects young people. It affects the education system. It affects funding into communities and, and CBOs um, through the Social Employment Fund. Um, and this really affects all the communities across South Africa. So all South Africans should really care about it. Sign it, share it with your friends, put it on your WhatsApp status. Sign, sign, share, share, please. All right. Um, Professor Graham, anything else you want to add before uh, I wrap up this conversation? No, I, I think Crystal has uh, really summarized that, that, you know, if we really are serious, and I think we do get a little tired of hearing about the youth unemployment problem because it comes up every time we have quarterly labor force survey statistics released and we get a little bit fatigued about it. But this really is the crux of it. You know, we... We, we cannot let young people down any further than they've already been let down. It's, we just won't have a future in this country if, we, if we're not investing in youth employment. Um, and anybody who cares about the future of this country needs to be caring about this issue. All right. Thank you for your time, Professor Lauren Graham and Crystal Duncan there on the calls for the extension of the Presidential Employment Stimulus Program. That's where we leave it on the talking point for this Monday edition of the show. We're back with you again tomorrow at midday.